Welcome back to Africa Knows. Today, Gaddafi is lucky enough to talk to Dr. Ralia Mayama Abdullahi, a lecturer in English and Literary Studies at Bayer University Kano, and also a fellow of the African Humanities Program with the American Council of Learned Societies. Their conversation covers African feminism, literature, and the uncertain future of the Nigerian Federation, and a whole range of other fascinating topics. So, here is Dr. Abdullahi. I must say that I've been interested in teaching since I was eight years old. It has always been my ambition to become a teacher. And so I started teaching from eight teaching children in my neighborhood, which then progressed into freelance teaching, teaching people English and so on. Then eventually, of course, I got employed in the Saadat Rimi uh, College here. From there, I moved on to ABU and then to BUK. Because my interest has always been the propagation of knowledge. And uh, I've had an interest in reading from as long as I can remember. I've always loved to read. And I've always felt that the academia is the place where I would pursue that interest the most. So that's how I ended up being at the academia. Okay, interesting. Yeah, then uh, what are you working on now? Well... Currently, I'm working on the literatures of uh, the writings of women in northern Nigeria. That is my current research um, topic that I'm working on. But I've, in the past, of course, my, my PhD, my, uh, my BA, my MA, tended to be lit more on critical theory, uh, European or American literature, and uh, philosophy, because I did my PhD on the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. So those have been my research interests. But I've always had a sort of interest in women's writing and the women's perspective of the world. So I have felt that uh, I need to add my voice to the writings of women in northern Nigeria. So currently what I'm working on is the poetry and the prose writings of very contemporary writers of uh, northern Niger women of northern Nigerian origin. In both Hausa and English. Yes. Uh, can you? I found the, your PhD topic very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can you explain it more to the listeners? Well, yeah, I, yeah. I looked at you. See, mm. I came from the perspective of nonfiction, but even even so, what I did was because Nisha is such a, such a prolific writer. He has written so much. You know, he has. So I I, I took three. Like three subgenres of his writing. I took his autobiography, Ex the Woman, Behold the Man. Then I took his philosophical novel, which is Thus Book Zarathustra, one of the writings that, well, the writing that he is the most proud of, I think. And then I took one philosophical book, The Birth of Tragedy, which is also his first uh, major philosophical writing. So what I did was to subject these three different modes of writing to the regular uh, literary analysis. I used uh, literary theoretical tools to analyze what you would call philosophy, the philosophical novel, and even nonfiction. So that is what I did. And I used the framework of uh, deconstruction, especially Derrida's idea of the ear of the other, mm -hmm. how it impacts on writing, the problematics of the proper name, uh, and what remains after the death of the author. What remains, whether it's just the writing or just the trace of, 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 of the philosopher and so on, because I have a great deal of interest um, in philosophy and I'm intrigued by the ideas of Friedrich Nietzsche. You know, he's a very 
controversial and uh, radical thinker. Exactly. So that is uh, that is what I did. Yeah. In a nutshell. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, when, what do you think about uh, the Nigerian academia? Your perspective on it? Well, my perspective on the Nigerian academia is that it really there is room for a lot of improvement. Okay. What disturbs me the most is that the focus of our administrators and even our the country's leaders tends to be shifting away from the actual academic aspect more towards the administrative aspect of the universities. So much so that when you go to the federal universities, for instance, you will find that infrastructure spending is um, is focused more on building administrative blocks and so on, rather than actual places where students will learn or research centers and so on. Even when we have this, uh, with all the problems that uh, Nigerian academics are facing in terms of remuneration and so on and so forth, and in terms of funding for research, I think that we are de-emphasizing what should be emphasized more, which is the academic aspect, learning and knowledge, the promotion of knowing, you know, these are things that are on the decline rather than on on, on, on the rise. And so for me, this is a kind of a, a kind of problem that really our leaders need to need to address because when you consider Western countries and so on, you'll find chairs being being created in universities for professors or people who have specialties. A, a specific chair would be created for someone in a specific discipline who has a specific topic. And I think that that is the promotion of knowledge. That is how important knowledge is in such places. And I think we need to emulate that. Um, how do you think Nigerian universities have developed over the decades? Well, in my opinion, there is there have been improvements in some areas, but it seems to me there is more of a decline. Because the, the teaching itself has become something of a... Uh, Almost like the civil service, as a professor Ibi, he, you know, he said yeah. that we have become a civil service with a teaching function. Yeah. So I think that rigorous research, intellectual debates, what makes the university a vibrant place of knowledge and knowing mm -hmm. and learning, mm -hmm. I think that is what is on the decline. People are afraid to be intellectually adventurous. People are afraid to go into the unknown terrains. We want to be we want to stay within our comfort zones. We don't want to venture out. I'm not talking about venturing out physically, but I'm talking about venturing out intellectually and critically. We don't want to ask dangerous questions. We don't want to ask um, disturbing questions. And we don't want to disturb the status quo. We have this um, uh, godfather mentality. Um, we tend to follow in the footsteps of our teachers. And often enough, we don't want to do anything that will challenge their own perspectives on the fields of knowledge that we occupy. And I think that this is what is causing some sort of decline in the academia. I think that younger academics need to really step up and uh, ask the questions that need to be asked and make challenges where they, they need to be made. Okay, there are debates around decolonizing the academia. Uh, what does this mean to you? I suppose you must be referring to the current, um, well, not terribly current, I suppose, debate about um, be focusing more on indigenous studies, on African literature, 
and so on, and uh, reducing the impact, the colonial impact yes. of, on, on, the, on the institutions. Now, this is both a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because it makes us more conscious of our identity, our cultural identity and our heritage. It allows us to be the narrators and the writers of our own history yeah. rather than having it being written by, by others who are not us. So I think that it allows us to focus on ourselves and get to know ourselves and the African continent better, our cultures, our people, our modes of writing, and to promote also the literatures and the, the knowledge that is being produced on the continent. But on the other hand, it is costing us in the sense that if we are not careful, we are going to be, our vision is going to become myopic. The focus is going to be only on Africa, will become insular. And what we call a university is supposed to be a place of diversity. The universe, universals, is supposed to be a place where we welcome knowledge from every aspect of the globe, from every part of the globe. So it shouldn't be the case that while we are seeking to establish ourselves, we do it to the exclusion of other cultures and other forms of knowledge. After all, when you think about it, some of the greatest research grants that we get, the fellowships that we get, come from foreign countries, not from Africa itself. Now, if they are willing to support knowledge in whatever area, I think that that is something that we also need to do. When you go to the Western world, any institution you find there, you'll find Institute of African Studies, Institute of Chinese Studies, the professor of uh, Chinese uh, English, professor of Mexican-American literature, uh, you know, things like diversity. Exactly. That is what we need. And I'm in the humanities, and my focus is always on the human. As far as I'm concerned, knowledge does not have race, it doesn't have color, it doesn't have culture, it doesn't have continent, it doesn't have any geographical location. For me, knowledge is human. If it comes from a human mind, it belongs to me as well. And so I should use it and promote it. Certainly. Sure. Sure. Uh, do you see inequalities in the global structure of research and teaching? And what should be done about these inequalities? The only inequalities that I would say would be that uh, African universities or African institutions, learning institutions, we, we, we may not be able to do the, the kind of rigorous research that needs to be done, probably because we are not able to attract the sort of funding that Western universities are able to attract. Think of large pharmaceutical industries like GlaxoSmithKline and so on. Think of um, conglomerates like the Toyota or Honda. You know, they sponsor research in universities across the world. But African universities, for whatever reason, we've not been able to sort of cash into that sort of funding. And to do research, you require funding. Exactly. Some research takes decades even. It's some research you begin, you can't finish in your lifetime, you leave for others to continue. Now that kind of research needs the support of, um, of things like that, but we've not been able to get that. So there are inequalities. We can't catch up. We can't catch up unless we have that kind of support, but we won't get that kind of support unless we ourselves are serious about the kind of research that we are, that we want to do and we want to undertake. So, yeah. Is there research or are there concepts that you feel is excluded from the view of global academia? Honestly, view of global academia, no. From 
uh, cutting edge science to witchcraft, mm -hmm. from local medicine to uh, domestic violence. I think everything from sexual orientation to to the most, you know, as far as I'm concerned, nothing on the global scene, nothing has been excluded from academia. Everything is being researched now. That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, do you feel that there are dominant approaches to research and knowing that exclude all our forms? Well, I think that if any research is excluded, it would be because it is not rigorous enough or not going to have enough impact. Yeah. But on the other hand, I would say, especially when speaking all about my own university, for instance, or about Nigeria, my own country, yeah. I would say that more attention yeah. is given to research in the hard sciences okay. than is given to research in the soft sciences like sociology and the social sciences, sorry, and the humanities. Yeah. So I think that... Um, this is where there will be inequalities, you, you could say. More focus is given to the sciences like mathematics, medicine, physics, and so on, than it is given. Even when you come to research grants and so on, you will find that the amounts that are given to such areas are different from... It seems as if um, they are considered more serious than these ones. But where would you be without the humanities? Exactly. I think uh, that's the basis of everything. That's where thinking takes place, critical thinking, philosophy, even our religions are in the humanities and so on. This is what makes us human. Technology alone is not enough. Scientific discoveries alone are not enough. If we do not have the core values that make us human. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Doctor, let's discuss feminism now in, in northern Nigeria. Uh, what is your perception of the state of women in this part of the country? Okay. Mm. Well, in this part of the country, yes. I'm happy to say mm. that women are emerging. Okay. Women are getting on the public scene. But we have to be honest mm. that this is a patriarchal society. Okay. And uh, because of our cultural and religious orientation, mm. it, uh, it, it's, it's, it's going to take a long time mm. before some sort of equality is achieved. And when I speak of equality, I'm not talking about what a man can do, that uh, the banal, what a man can do, a woman can do, but that a woman is allowed to achieve her full potential if that is what she wants to do, whatever she wants to pursue. She should be given the, the mantle of her life, which I think, um, I think that uh, that is the problem. And partly because of um, social criticism and rejection and so many negative things surrounding the idea of feminism, many women in northern Nigeria do not want to call themselves feminist. They shy away from that label, even our writers. They shy away from the label, even if their writing and their actions are feminist. We shy away from it because our, our understanding of feminism is that it is a negative thing. It's going to divorce us from religion, from culture, from whatever. But once we accept that feminism simply means allowing a woman to achieve her full potential, giving her the kind of freedoms and opportunities that a man has so that she too can contribute to the development of her society, I think the label itself will, 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 will be shed of uh, those negative connotations that uh, have, have uh, plagued it so far. But it's changing. Okay. More women are getting on the scene. And I think that uh, 
men, our men, are, are, are having more respect okay. for women. The beautiful thing about our men here, okay. what I really love about our men in the North, okay. is that they are very tender towards okay. women, okay. very, very kind, very sort of accommodating and understanding. Okay. What I've noticed about our men is that mm. once they realize that a woman has the potential to do something, mm. they really don't stand in her way or, or try to stop her. That is, I'm talking about in the public sphere, mm. like in her place of work or yes. what. There is no discrimination, if you like, mm. against women, the kind that Western women talk about, where you, you will be refused promotion or you don't get equal pay. We have it. We have all of that here. Yeah. And when you are, if you, if you, if you have a position um, in an institution in northern Nigeria, you don't find the men trying to say, no, she shouldn't get that or she shouldn't be promoted. And you are allowed to do your work. Mm. And the men work with you. This is, this is re really what I find surprising okay. in a place which is considered to be anti-women. Exactly. But the men are very, really very supportive. Okay. That is my personal okay. experience. Okay. And that is why I know that once feminism is really understood, that it's not a threat to our cultural mores and our norms and values. I, don't, I think it will just boom and uh, know that Nigeria would be on the, on the, on the way to, you know, some serious progress because right now keeping girls at home, early marriages, refusal to yeah. educate girls, exactly. more and more men are realizing that uh, that's not the way to go. But what is the men's weak point? Men's weak point? Yeah, you have expressed now yes. the, uh, the central okay. point. The basic weakness of men yeah. is that many of them do not realize how strong a woman is. We, our men have been raised to believe that a woman is weak. Okay. This is a cultural view. It is not true. Okay. Because, and for this reason, many men, until they see that a woman can actually do it, in spite of mm -hmm. the circumstances, yeah. they are always of the view that if you put a woman in this position or in this responsibility, she will not be able to succeed. Yeah. And only, it's only when they see her having succeeded at some point, mm -hmm. or they see that she's really doing it, and she's, then they, they, all the barriers that they normally put, they, they remove, and they are very supportive and understanding. But I think that this is the greatest weakness of men, the failure to see the strength of women, and the failure to interact okay. with women. Our men here tend to be very exclusivist. Okay. That is to say, um, they, men tend to sort of separate themselves. I think maybe it's because of our culture, but men do not tend to allow themselves to co-mingle intellectually um, with women. In the sense that in many spheres, even at meetings, you'll find men seated separately at the head of things while the women are relegated most of the time to the background and women have to shout to be to get attention and so on generally the men just forget that the women are there and then someone suddenly remembers oh gender equality gender perspective and then the women are asked their view i i think that our men need to be more up and doing need to push women through and understand that your daughter is just as good as your son. Whatever your son can achieve, your daughter can also achieve the same thing, given the same opportunities. I think once this is removed, 
once this is clear, I think our men don't really have um, much problems that I can see. No. Because our men do not actively work to subjugate women. At least yeah. the men, especially our educated men. Yeah. Maybe traditional, rural or cultural minded men. Yeah. But you can excuse them for not being modern or open minded or broad minded or educated enough. But if a man is educated, you hardly find him being oh. this... Uh, dogmatic about uh, things. And also, we need to understand that culture is dynamic. You cannot insist that there is only one way of being human or only one way of living. That the, the values that we have, we, we started out with, are going to be the values that will endure for the end of time. This will not happen. Things will always change. And there, are, there is the social media now, there is all this globalization thing going on. It's impossible to insist that things have to remain the way they are. So if either you take an active part in changing them so that you can ensure that the change you want is what takes place, or you stand aloof and fight it, and it will take place in spite of you, and the change that will come will be the change that you will not want. So that's the choice that our men have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, generally, what is your view of the rampant divorce happening in northern Nigeria? Well, I can tell you honestly, it's because mm. <laughs> people might disagree with this. Okay. But I think the rate of divorce okay. is because women are, are, are enlightened now okay. and they are educated. Okay. In the past, a girl would be married mm. just after secondary school or primary school. Mm. And in the past, women did not have access to foreign cultures and other ways of life. Okay. Now you have a girl who has been to the university, she's got an education, she has aspirations, she has ambitions. Yeah. But then she marries a man who does not want those ambitions. Yeah. Or wants to our men want our women to be exactly what every full-time housewife should be, <laughs> yet still have a job or have a source of income and contribute to the economy of the house. Now I say to those men, I think our men of today, they're exactly the kind of women they should marry are feminists. Feminists should be the kind of women they should marry. Okay. Because feminists are women who do not want to be dependent. They want to be independent. They want to be independent. Okay. They want to contribute financially. Yeah. They don't want anyone to support them. Mm. So, so there is That's economic advantage. There is to economic it. advantage in marrying a feminist who yes. is a true feminist. Yes, because she will contribute. Yes, economic situation. Yes, in this economic yes. situation, yeah. she will contribute financially, mm. but she would want a say okay. in how the family is run. Yeah. Now, if as a man mm. you are willing to take a woman's finances, mm. her, her money, mm. I think that it's not a bad thing to have her to give her a say in how the family is run, mm. but. Uh, we, we have this culture where a man will come, give the orders, lay down the law, and expect that it will be obeyed. And the girls of today are not like our mothers. They are not as patient or as tolerant. And then there is all the stress of having to go to work and earn a living, and then coming back home to do all the things that you are expected to do. I think that unless we change our mindset and accept the fact that we are no longer living in the traditional world, we are living in the modern world, and we need to make accommodations to this, I think the divorce rate is going to continue because women want a voice. 
you listen to many divorces. I don't know whether because you are a man, perhaps yeah. you may not, but as a woman, yeah. I've had many divorces say yeah. that the reason why they divorced their husband is because they wanted to go back to school, okay. or because they want a job and the husband says they can't work, or because they have noticed that they are the ones who are taking the res financial responsibility of the family is on their shoulders, but their husband is not doing anything, contributing, is not doing what he is supposed to do as a man. Yet still he expects her to do what she is supposed to do as a woman, despite the fact that she's taking care of his own responsibilities. So for all these reasons, I think that is why we have this uh, rampant. People think that um, women are not educated in terms of uh, religion or whatever, that they ignore the... But actually, <laughs> women are becoming more and more educated in terms of their rights in Islam. And if a woman is going to pursue all the rights that Islam gives her, she's going to be more radical than the most radical feminist. Exactly. This is it. Yeah. And our men don't want that. Mm -hmm. Our men don't want to hear a woman challenge them from the religious perspective. Yeah, but exactly. women now know. Exactly. Because more girls go to Islamia schools yes. than boys. Mm -hmm. And this is the so thing that. about girls. Because they are afraid, they obey the rules. So they learn more and they listen. And every woman is always sensitive and always attentive yes. to what will promote her own rights and her own privileges. Yes. So I think it's part, a mixture of all these things. But I think that if we could work together, do the 50-50 thing, you know, the man take part in some of the woman's things, the woman takes part in some of the man's things, I think that it will be a better, a better we'll have a better balance altogether because then everybody is invested in, exactly. the, in the family. Exactly. But what is the ideal way uh, of raising a girl child in, in northern Nigeria? In northern Nigeria, yes. our mother has to be extremely careful. Okay. Because you cannot ignore the culture and the context within which we exist. So you cannot raise your daughter to be a radical. Okay. That will depend on her personality. She will find things out for herself. The best way to raise a girl is to ensure that she gets the best kind of education that you can give her. In northern Nigeria, if, she, if you are a Muslim, give her a sound religious education and a sound modern education. If she has this, then she's good to go. Her personality will do the rest. I think that is the best way. But you must also, I think this is very important, that we need to keep in touch. We need to keep in touch with our, our core values. I think sometimes we neglect this. It's not a good idea to raise your child, your daughter, only in the Western way, or the way you see Westerners or Indians doing. I think that's not us, and it's not going to work for us. It is very important, our mood of greeting, our respect for elders, teach your daughter to cook, if not for anyone, but for herself. She may find herself anywhere, even if she never marries. It's a skill that she needs, cleaning, you know, household cleaning. This this should be done for both girls and boys. I don't think there should be any difference in this regard. Because if a boy finds himself living alone, he's vulnerable if he can't cook his own meals. So I think that keeping in touch with our values, our mode of dress, these things, and this distance the child from this um, these gadgets, this, uh, the mobile phones, oh, iPad, social media, yeah. this... These are the things that destroy our girls. Okay.
they increase the rates of rape when the girl becomes a teenager because she will meet boys on social media. Yes. You can't control what they do. No matter how smart you are, they are smarter than you are on the phone. Exactly. So we can't, this has to be limited. As far as I am concerned, and this is what I do in my home, a girl should not have a phone. At least, uh, and this is the Android, isn't it? A girl should not have an Android phone until she's at least in SS3 okay. of secondary school or until she graduates from secondary school. Before that time, she should not have a phone at all. If she has to have a phone, perhaps in SS1, and she should not take it to school. And it should be the local um, analog, oh, is that phone. what you call it? Phone. Oh, yeah, exactly. The ordinary one that she can make a call who if there's an emergency or send a text message. message. Exactly. That's all she needs because it's a distraction. Not only a distraction from life, but a distraction from her studies, from her education. And you'll find these girls are so empty-headed. All they're interested in is taking selfies and posting on social media. Mm. That is not the kind of daughter you want to raise. I think daughters should be raised to be serious-minded. Yes. Because whether we like it or not, they are going to be mothers. And a mother, if you don't have a serious mother, the entire family is in trouble, exactly. and by extension, the entire society. Exactly. Exactly. Do you have any closer remarks on feminism in northern Nigeria? Yes. On I would call on every woman in northern Nigeria to become a feminist. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I think we should stop projecting that label. Mm -hmm. I think we should take it, own it, make it ours. Okay. The beauty of feminism is that it is malleable. It is, it is flexible. It is a fluid term. You can use it and adapt it to your own cultural uh, context. So I think we should stop rejecting it, but try to fashion out the kind of feminism that works for us. We should, we should, we should unite and fight for our rights and for ourselves. When we talk about our rights, we are not talking about the rights of Western women that they insist on. We are talking about the rights that our religion gives us and the rights that we had even in our own ancient societies, women were not subjugated. They went out to the farm. They went to the markets. They had trade. They were not locked down. So I think that women, we need to become feminists and take responsibility. We can't continue to be 100% dependent. Being a parasite is not a good thing. There is nothing good about marrying a man so that he will support you and take care of all your finances. You are turning yourself into something useless. And you can't be a feminist like that. You can't tell a man, pay all my bills, and then insist that you are going to call the shots in the house or even take part in decision-making. I think if you want to be dependent, you should lay low and allow the man to tell you what to do. This is only fair because he's, he's, he is putting the bills. Unless if that is an arrangement the two of you came up with together, you agree to give up your job and be a full-time mother and housewife so that he will be the provider. In such a case, you have a voice. But if you will be able to do something, and he wants you to, he pays, he will even, some men are willing to even support your education. But you yourself refuse. I think you have no call to say men are subjugating you or insisting they want to run your life or being unfair or whatever. Domestic violence sometimes, I'm not excusing it, but sometimes domestic violence is a product of frustration. When a woman does her share, these things are mitigated. So the very fact that the man knows she's enlightened enough to be able to report him to the authorities or not to take that kind of nonsense will already mitigate instances of uh, domestic violence against, uh, against women. 
it's lack of education and lack of enlightenment. So I think women, we need to step up again. Stop rejecting this label of feminist. But when we accept it, we accept the responsibility that goes along with it. It's not about having everything, doing whatever you like, being free. No, there's no such thing as absolute freedom. Whether you like it or not, you have to live according to the laws of, of the country. Otherwise, you'll be arrested and put in prison. You have to live according to the laws of society. So it's not absolute freedom to do what you want, a promiscuity or whatever. No, that's not what feminism is about. Feminism is about you knowing your worth as a woman and contributing your quota to the progress and development of your society. That is what feminism is about. And it is the kind that we need in northern Nigeria. We have a society where 50% of the population, women, are kept at home, not producing, not, 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 uh, not contributing to the development of the region. I think this is not good for us in the long run. So this has to change. But the, the, the mindset of our women has to change before we can change the mindset of our men. Now, finally, finally, uh, with the current happenings in the country, do you think Nigerian unity is negotiable or non-negotiable? Well, you know, there are countries that have divided and lived in peace. They've done so peacefully. Some have done so after civil wars and so on. You know, the, the Nigerian country, the country Nigeria itself, is a product of colonial conquest. It's not, it's not a natural entity. So, if our staying together becomes untenable or causes death, pain, destruction, war, and uh, poverty, and so many things, if it becomes impossible for us to live together, then I think our unity becomes negotiable. We have to negotiate how we can separate peacefully so that we will be able to continue being friends after the separation. But if we are able to remain together, I think we are stronger together. This is my opinion. So it's not inevitable. If it comes, we can only hope that we can do it in a peaceful manner so that peaceful coexistence will continue and, uh, and uh, things will move forward for everyone. But I think those who are agitating for the division of the country, if they are not coming from a good place, we should not listen to them. We should ignore them. We should look at our strengths as a country rather than our weaknesses. Sometimes our weaknesses are not because of the people of the country, but probably because of poor leadership, poor infrastructure, lack of education. Things are bad in the country. If things improve, nobody will be speaking of uh, dividing the country. So I think our focus should be on electing and selecting leaders and people and, and people who are going to occupy positions of power who will repair the country. Once the country is repaired, I think the talk of division will just die off. It's, it's all the problems that we are having that are causing these things, but we are focusing on the wrong thing. Dividing the country is not going to solve our problems. Solving our problems is what is going to solve our problems. That's, that is what we should uh, focus on, how to heal the country, not how to, how to separate. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for your valuable time. Wow. Thanks for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this conversation. There will be many more to follow, so stay tuned. You can also go to www.africanose.eu for much more information. And if you have any thoughts, comments, ideas on hosts or guests or any other things to share, please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you.